Welcome to your Future Therapist podcast. Empower yourself with this free podcast for personal growth and well-being. Future therapist and life coach Kelly Newsom and co-host Megan Lachowski share honest, real-life stories to help others navigate life's challenges. Okay, welcome to your Future Therapist podcast. I'm Kelly Newsom, and I'm here with my co-host Megan Lachowski. So today we're talking about mutual past experiences in <laughs> as coaches. And, um, you know, this is a really interesting topic, uh, for me personally, it makes me uncomfortable. I'm just going to be fully authentic right now. Um, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me nervous to talk about this part of my past. Um, but I think that's also why we're doing it. Right, Megan? Yeah, definitely. And this was, this is funny because we, um, what, when did we even bring this up? It was, I mean, we've talked here and there about sports and coaching, you know, throughout the time we've known each other, but I think it was only like a month ago or something that we really brought it up and we're like, Hey, this should definitely be a podcast topic. And so there's a lot of other themes that as we cover them, those are things that we've been talking about for probably years, but this is something that we're pretty new to discuss, but we think that, you know, it's, it might be about um, we might share specific examples or have specific situations, but I think it's, we both think it's really important um, to show how it's kind of bled into other areas of our lives. And I think people will find some common ground, even if they don't have the specific experiences that we do. Yeah. And so to your point, so different things are going to come up from each of us mm -hmm. about our experience as coaches. So, and how I looked at it was there are reasons why I coached the way I did, <laughs> you know, in the present, in that present moment. Right. And then as I reflect back on it, I can see it more clearly and understand, right. Why I made decisions that I made or why I was the way that I was. Um, and so I think that the only reason that I'm willing to go back into a past experience where I don't look at myself in the highest regard, like the behaviors that I had is because it's, you know, if we're going back and reliving the past, right. Quote unquote, reliving or living in the past, if it's to be reflected for a better present and future self, then I'm totally all for that. Um, mm -hmm. But if we were going to live in the past to berate ourselves and to solidify like the shame and the regret that we have because, you know, in that past moment or past experiences, then it's, I don't think it's the time, you know, it's not the right. time for us to work with that past. So I want to say that for the listeners uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, I know like as a life coach, there is actually um, some, you know, some rule, like loose rules, like we really shouldn't be working with clients in their past. Cause that's like, you should be trained in certain, you know, uh, processes that you learn when you become a licensed therapist or psychologist or psychiatrist to help people with their past selves and past situations and trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, but like I said, if you're in a mo in a, in a situation where you're able to be reflective, have some self-awareness, then I'm like all for it because that means that you're growing. And that's right. what this conversation is, right? Mm -hmm. 
Oh, we've grown so much. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we have grown. So I'll start with just kind of the, the, what I did as a coach, right? Who, who, like what, what, I, what sport did I coach and kind of the years. Um, mm-hmm. And then you can, you can share that. And then let's, <laughs> let's deep dive. Into, let's get into it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, uh, I have, so I'm 50 and I have been coaching volleyball since I was 19 years old. And when I was 19, I was coaching ninth graders. They were four years younger than me. <laughs> I should not have been coaching uh, <laughs> girls that were four years younger than me because I literally felt like I was their peer. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and there are actually now they're women that I still communicate with. I mean, those younger girls at that time, I still communicate, I actually golf with one of them. I mm-hmm. am friends with them and, and I value those, that friendship, but I will say at that age, I didn't have anyone helping me, like sh- showing me the ropes, like truly mm-hmm. showing me the ropes of you know, you're dealing with young, impressionable people who actually Mm -hmm. need to be cared for in a certain way. So that's where I started. I ended, uh, I Mm want to say my last uh, year coaching was maybe 2015, I believe. And it was horrible. Um, Mm -hmm. I there and we'll go into this uh, a little bit later, but it was not my best self. And when I used to reflect back on it. It was with a lot of shame because I was absolutely like my goal and need for success, which IE means winning, um, absolutely superseded like humanity, like having humanity for the, the girls that I was coaching and, and even for myself, like, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of, you know, even with all those years, something, something never changed, right? Something like I just kept in the same mindset and of winning was the most important thing. And that, and I remember that at 19 and remember, I mean, how long ago was this seven, eight years ago, that was still the most important thing. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of my 10,000 feet view of coaching my own coaching experience. How about you? Um, well, I, so I was a former gymnast. I started when I was three and, um, and I was at, uh, I started at a gym that had a competitive team, but that wasn't really the focus of that gym. And then I, I've all, I've been, I've always had this contradiction of, I'm not competitive at all. I just want everybody to have a wonderful time. Like I don't, it's cool if you do win, I guess, but like, that's, you know, I don't really care that much. And, um, but then also wanting to, you know, improve and to get better. And the way to do that in gymnastics was to be with a gym that was more focused on being competitive. And so the gym that I was at, we split and, um, the coach that, you know, was the head owner who wasn't very focused on competition. She kept her gym and kept it as more recreational. And then the, you know, the main head competitive coach, she split off and formed her own gym. And I give this context just so that you can kind of see where I, what my evolution was into coaching. And so then I went to that gym and, um, and it was very, I mean, it was competitive. Gymnastics is a very competitive sport, of course. And I didn't really fit in with that because I was not, my parents are always like, 
wow, you did really great at this competition. Like, aren't you happy? And I'm like, I just want to go to McDonald's and then go home. Like I, I just was like tired and hungry. And that was like, that was it. And I enjoyed doing the, you know, the activity of gymnastics, but all of everything else that went into it, I was never really a fan of, but it was so ingrained in me. And, um, I had, I had such unhealthy coaching myself and I knew that it wasn't okay, but that's all that I knew. And so when I then became a coach, I actually started coaching when I was 12 and it was, I was coaching like four-year-olds how to do like, you know, rolls on the ground and stuff. I was, you know, I wasn't teaching anything or coaching anything big. Um, and then I kind of went off and on, I stayed coaching mainly just like, you know, one day a week or two days a week or something. And then when I was all, all the way through high school. And then when I was out of high school, that was my first job when I was in college. And, and I loved it. Honestly, I love coaching. I love working with kids. And there were times like, as Kelly said, where I was coaching kids that were only a couple years younger than me. And then there were times that I was teaching or coaching toddlers. And so I had a, a pretty big range and I truly enjoyed it. But again, it was it, even at the recreational gyms, a lot of times the focus on like how to how to, um, how to teach somebody how to do gymnastics is just not healthy. And I think that trend is changing, luckily, and that's a whole other discussion that feel free to ask me any questions, audience members, if you have any, but um, I look back on it. Uh, and I even these, these kids who were not interested in ever going to a competition, but just wanted to learn how to do a cartwheel, I was so like, frustrated that they weren't listening to my, you know, highly technical instruction on how to do things. And I would get frustrated all the time. And I would kind of coach them as if they were like trying to compete for the national team and they absolutely weren't. And so I also used to look back on my coaching with so much shame. And now I look back on it and I very much understand why I was the way that I was when I was a coach. And I knew, I know that if we go back, I would be so much different, but um, I do think it's really important. Um, to share about the ways that we are not very good or healthy at something so that we can learn how to do better <laughs> moving forward. A hundred percent. I mean, a couple of things. One, when you mentioned you were coaching them as if they were national mm-hmm. team members, right? Yeah. I, um, I didn't feel necessarily that way mm-hmm. about my players, but I did have these incredible expectations Mm -hmm. that they should be able to do X, Y, and Z. Yes. And so um, rather than meeting them where they were, Mm -hmm. I was pushing them beyond even, I think, mental or knowledge of the sport or their mechanics. Like, um, and I had this expectation that they should be meeting me where I am. And that right there. I mean, just like not having the awareness mm-hmm. of, uh, of people, right. Of who they were and who they are in that moment and where they are, um, physically and as well as just technically in the sport is just such a mess. I mean, and so mm-hmm. if you are in a situation right now and you're listening to this and you're working with other people, right. I mean, it doesn't even have to be co- a coaching situation, but whether you manage people, um, or you're even coaching, you know, a little kids, uh, 
I don't know what it's called, like baseball, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we have these high, high expectations, but we're not actually recognizing that, that uh, we're not meeting these people where they are so that they can grow in steps, uh, then we're doing like a disservice to them, but also to ourselves because that feeling of them not meeting your expectations actually, I mean, for me personally, it would cause anger. I was angry all the time. Um, And I lived in that anger and I thought it was totally normal. I thought that's just the way coaching is, which is insane. Well, that's, Um, that's exactly how it was for me too, because I remember being, I thought I was cognizant of being a a healthier coach when I first started. And I was like, no, I'm going to make sure that these girls have like a much better time than I did. And they probably did have a better time than I did. But I mean, I was totally bullied by coaches and I was so used to that treatment. And I didn't have, like you mentioned with your coaching, I didn't have the resources or the mentorship or leadership Um, or training on how to be an effective coach. I just started coaching. And I know I'm actually a good teacher, like I can teach the sport well. But I, I didn't know how to, um, how to actually talk with people and especially kids in in a way that was going to make them um, understand the point of what they were doing, or um, like you said, meet them where they are. And, um, and I, it's just so funny to think about how I really thought that I was like actually being a really healthy coach, but I was so far removed from what healthy leadership actually looked like that I had no idea what, you know, what I was doing was in any way, not healthy. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, the last year that I coached, it was coming to a head, like, I I remember specific examples where I zapped the joy out of mm-hmm. these girls, you know, and um and the winning part or wanting to win or feeling like that was the identity that I had to have as a coach was mm-hmm. so overpowering that anything that came my way that might have challenged that track, mm-hmm. I doubled down. And that's dangerous because when you start to double down, you're really so far removed from reality. Yeah. And I think the words you just use, which is now I forgot that wasn't part or that was part of your identity as a coach. Mm -hmm. That's what you thought that you had to do. I think that that's um, one of the key things that a lot of coaches or teachers or leaders or in whatever capacity it is, I think that that's something that they kind of fall into where they assume that that's the identity that they have to have, because that's what, that's what it means to be a coach or a leader or whatever. Right. And so you just go with it because that's what you think needs to happen. Yeah. Another area that I think, um, I struggled with uh, was the parents, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, there were two instances. Uh, and so just, so I was a part, I ended being the varsity coach at one of the local high schools. There was a, I felt a lot of pressure. Um, and so two of the fathers, uh, one of them came into a practice, a close, all of my practices were closed and he came in and wanted to let me know that his daughter was ready to play. 
Mm-hmm. And and I didn't have the skill set at the time. And then again, it comes back to this double downing. When you when you do not when you're not able to have a constructive conversation with someone or create boundaries, then what you do is you double down on the bad shit that you do. Yeah. yeah. Because that is how what you know. And it's the easiest thing to do. Um, it's not the right thing, but it's the easiest thing to do. And so another father was at the end of the season. Um, I, I, the co I did had decided every year that the coach would decide the MVP. I didn't want the girls. I didn't want that to be on the girls. And I felt like as a coach, I could look at it more globally and holistically about, you know, certain instances, what an MVP is. And so I chose the MVP and some outsiders would probably question or think, oh, it could have gone, you know, to one or the other, but this particular girl, I I just admire every, everything about her. Like she was the whole package, right. Mm -hmm. Good teammate, everything and ability. Um, the father of the other player refused to even look at me at the (laughs) award ceremony. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're dealing like now I can reflect back on that and you're dealing with whatever he's dealing with. Right. Like as a father of this girl, what is, what all the stuff that he, that at that moment makes him not be able to look at another person and in the, mm-hmm. in the face of his disappointment for his daughter or for himself, right? Mm-hmm. The other dad, the, the need to persuade a coach that his daughter is ready to play, right? Mm-hmm. Despite, so it's like all of these um, inputs are coming in to, to me and I feel like I'm out of control. Like I have no control. I've got people basically telling me what to do trying to persuade me, um, mistreating me because I am not doing what they want. Right. Mm -hmm. In that environment with me, um, that it all goes back to, I'm doubling down. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep doing the things that I know, even though the result of that was, (laughs) excuse me, no joy for everybody. It was still win, win, win. Mm -hmm. And I was literally this angry coach that was like an angry robot every mm-hmm. day, you know? Yeah. And so it's like everybody comes to the table with their, um, sorry, my throat. That's okay. Everybody comes to the table with, with their own life experiences. But if you don't, if you're not able to, uh, I guess, work through them and, or have these normal conversations, then this is, this is the end result, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it is really interesting to, <laughs> to watch parents, um, of the kids that you're coaching and how they're putting, they're putting their experience and their thoughts and where they're at mentally, they're putting it onto their kid and they don't, oftentimes they don't realize that they're doing that. Um, and so, you know, the dad's pushing their kid in volleyball really hard, or, I mean, this is such like a, an old trope where, the parents are like really, really pushing the kid to do a sport or even a musical instrument or something. And they're like pushing so hard and the kid just isn't really that into it. And it's because the the parent needs to figure out what they're, what they're missing, what's going on inside of them. And 
and that's not the focus of this podcast, no. obviously, but it, but it is stuff that you deal with as a coach. And it's really interesting to figure out how to uh, navigate that boundary between the parent who is like, there's a whole other thing going on that has nothing really to do with the exactly. kids. Exactly. Yeah. Or the coach. Right. But yeah. I will say, like you just mentioned, that's parenting in sports is literally a whole nother topic. Yeah. Yeah. As a parent of two athletes, I can, who also put a ton of pressure on their children. That's another subject and um, mm-hmm. episode all by itself. Mm-hmm. But going back to, I want to just make sure that I clarify what I was just saying before my voice and everything mm-hmm. went out. I just, I'm using the parents' behaviors as an example of when their behaviors meet somebody who does not is like disconnected from themselves Mm -hmm. and who is not able to reflect in the moment and not Mm -hmm. able to create boundaries or even have um, a conversation of like, Hey, you know, do we, this is a closed practice, you know, like having just Mm -hmm. regular conversations with people, it doesn't have to be butting heads all the time. But I just want to say that is where I was. Like I could not, I couldn't function how I function now. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just so out of scope for me that I couldn't even see that that's the path I should be taking or that I want to take. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just so uh, all about, and I'm not sure if it's all about the winning or it's something surrounding how I viewed how I should be as yeah. a coach, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as that slipped away, then that's when I'm like fighting tooth and nail, right? Like, right. Because you feel like your identity is being taken away almost. And you don't know what, who you are as a coach, if you don't have that main focus going on. Yeah. You know, one thing I want to point out also is as we look back on situations where we're not proud of who we were, um, part of that self-reflection is actually taking ownership. Right. And so I Mm -hmm. kind of wrote down three things. Um, I wrote down one, well, actually four things. I wrote down that I created the environment Mm -hmm. regardless of parents coming forth and doing things that weren't good. I still created the environment for one, that to have to continue. And then to the environment of what I created with the players. And so it's, so I'm going to just read off these three things that I kind of uh, have reflections on. So in those moments when alternative behaviors could have come forward, I chose anger. Even with the pressure of parents, I chose not to implement boundaries. And even with the poor support from the school for both me and the players, I chose to continue the same attitudes and behaviors. And I think having this self-reflection and awareness is critical when you're wanting something different out of your life. And that's the part that I want to kind of get through on this pod, on this particular episode, because I think Megan, you and I could probably sit here And I know I could easily bitch about all the things other people did, right? And all the the situations where somebody could have done better. And that's not looking at me and how I acted and how I behaved. And so 
if you're willing to look at yourself so that you can grow, that that is where kind of all the the beauty of self-reflection comes out. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I will say, you know, I had the retail store. Mm-hmm. I was really mm-hmm. nervous about having employees mm-hmm. because of my experience of yeah. coaching. I didn't know, could I actually manage people in a mm-hmm. really healthy way? Mm-hmm. And, or was I all, was I going to be about the, you're not doing sales, 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 which is the reason we're able to have employees and a store and all these things, right? Because right, right. need sales in order to pay for those things. So I was really nervous, but I will say that I had a great experience with you and the other, I Uh don't want to say her name in case she doesn't want her name in the podcast, but (laughs) you know, and I feel like, um, maybe I wasn't the best coach and boss when it came to sales. That's not my background, but what I feel I was able to do is to be human, (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, be with you too and um, understand kind of your pain points and the things that, you know, you struggled through in that job, like what help you needed. And look at this. It turned out to be like a loving, caring friendship, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, I've had plenty of bosses in my life and I know you have as well. And I am not friends with... <laughs> most people that I, that used to be my bosses, because that wasn't their role. And of course, it depends on the environment that you're in and the type of job you have, of course, but that, and you mentioned it, that you were, you were just there as a person. Um, You met us where we were as people and you were, ultimately you were human and we were, um, we, we knew that we were your employees and we like had to listen to what you needed us to do, but you made it so that we actually wanted to work for you. And I think that that's the key thing that coaches, bosses, leaders miss is that you, you assume when you're in that position that, that, (laughs) that you kind of have to make people do things because Mm -hmm. they're supposed to, and yeah, they're supposed to, because it's their job or you're their coach or whatever. But when you can um, lead somebody in a way where they truly want to do things for you, then that makes all the difference. And you were able to do that as a boss, at least in that environment. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't worked for you elsewhere, but uh, you definitely made it so that we were like, well, yeah, if Kelly's going to ask us to do something, of course, we're going to do it. Of course, we're going to do something for Kelly. So you were totally able to do that in that job. Yeah. And my experience with you and, and E, you know, that, um, it was like watching, um, us all grow up a little bit together. Yes. And so it was a really good experience. It helped me. I mean, I reflected a lot on my past coaching experience with, with young lady, young women, you know, basically, I mean, high school juniors and seniors, and it, I reflected a lot at, um, on that time period when, you know, I had the store yeah. and so, and had you and E as employees. Um, and so I, I want, I'm not 
I didn't bring all that up so that you could give me a glowing. I, I know um, you didn't. No, I, I know you didn't, but I kind of yeah. wanted to say for your sake, but then also for people listening, like note that difference from what, from what I've heard from you about how you were as a coach to mm-hmm. then how you were as a leader in a different way and how you were able to, um, do what you were hoping to accomplish basically and be a, a different type of leader and um what made what made you a good leader it's not that you were like great at sales like you said or whatever right. it was the way that you uh treated us as humans and made us not because you were manipulating us but you were you were the type of person that we just wanted to help you out and we wanted to do what you knew was going to be the right thing for the business. Yeah. And thank you for all of that. Yeah. Um, I also recently just got back into coaching doing uh, one-on-ones and I did a small group and I was nervous also, right? Like, can I be trusted <laughs> to care for these little girls, <laughs> you know? And I will say the group, uh, it, you know, and I think it was like maybe four sessions or something like that. The group was a challenge. Like I definitely mm-hmm. felt not the winning, the need to win, because this was just like technical skills practices. Mm-hmm. Um, But it brought back a lot of memories of just having to manage all these personalities. Right. And I'm oh, like, yeah. okay, you know what? The, the, the reflection of this is that's not for me anymore. Like I definitely don't want to do small groups, but what I've uh, continued to do is the individual and it is so fun. Yeah. And I really uh, enjoy that. And, you know, just as an example of how change is possible and how it comes back to you in a, a, a way that acknowledges your change. I had one parent say, She's never had a coach that like explains everything to her. Oh, yeah. And that I when I was told that, I'm like, yes, like thank yeah. goodness I am, I've grown, I've been able to actually implement the things that I've learned. Right. And and even though in that moment in time, you know, eight plus years ago, I was not my best self and I was not presenting, you know who I wanted to be, even though I didn't really know who that was at the time. That doesn't mean my past does not have to dictate of who I am and how I actually behave. Um, But the connection between the past and now is whether or not you're able to reflect and have the awareness to make the changes needed um, so that you can be who you really want to be. Right. Well, and who who you want to be. But then, like you said, when you don't even know who you want to be, especially when you're younger, but I mean, really at any age that can come up. It's if you don't know exactly, exactly what you want or exactly who you want to be or what your life, what you want your life to look like. You can tell when you're doing things or behaving in ways that are making you happy and fulfilling your little heart and just making sense to you. And I think that that's where a lot of us get lost is it's fine to not know exactly what you want to do. I mean, I'm even, even though I, as I said, you know, in my introduction, I am, I'm ha- I'm comfortable with where my life is. I, you know, I enjoy my life and I'm happy and I don't feel this like crazy need to like change everything, but I don't necessarily 
imagine that my entire life is going to look like this forever, but I know that I'm doing things that align with my heart, you know, and I'm just doing things that make me happy and make sense for me. And I think that that's important going all the way back to just how you are coaching somebody or interacting with people just, you know, as long as you're doing things that make sense to you and, you know, aren't hurting people, then that's the most important thing. Yeah. You brought up a really good point of how it makes you feel. So I, I think as we close out the podcast, if you are currently in a situation as a listener, if you're currently in a situation where there's a lot of conflict going on, whether it's a real one relationship or, you know, multiple relationships, you're finding this uh, theme or if it's, you know, something to do with your boss or work life. I think that the more you can listen to, or listen and feel what, where the tension is in your body, right? If you are anger and you find that tension, like your shoulders and neck and or just your internal self is just struggling and feels really blocked or tense. The thing that I invite you to do is to sit with it and try to understand how you're feeling, right? So if you had a conversation with somebody and you find yourself yelling at that person and it, you know deep down that that's really not the right way to treat somebody but you're not sure like beyond that, you don't have any, any other thoughts about it. You just know it doesn't feel right. I just think asking yourself the questions of why doesn't that feel right? What about my behavior doesn't feel okay with me? It's not, um, it's not something to be uh, shamed by when you start asking yourself those questions that's a step in self-reflection and, and bring in awareness to yourself so that next mm-hmm. time you start to feel that you can acknowledge it, like hopefully in the moment, right? That's where mm-hmm. kind of how you build self-awareness is one, you just start asking questions. The next is, oh, it's happening right now. Like you're actually going to be able to uh, become aware in the moment. And then next time it's like, hey, that's going to trigger me. I really need to take a step back, mm-hmm. right? So I just think- um, listening to your body and where you feel that tension, like Megan said, is really important and a really critical step of self-reflection. Yeah. And that, you know, makes me think about when I was, so I used to be a a general manager in, um, corporate. And so at different stores that I was managing at, when I first became like a lower level manager, it was probably a year within a year after, um, I finally quit coaching. And I was a little nervous too, to kind of see how that would go. And I think it only took a couple weeks maybe (laughs) for me to realize, oh, I'm not leading people in a way that is actually um, effective. And because I had at the time, I had supervisors and bosses who were not good leaders. And I found myself slipping into kind of how I was as a coach in, in a way that I didn't like. And then I was like, that is exactly what this boss who I don't appreciate would say. And I, I don't think that that's the right, that's the right call here. And so it took me, I think only a couple of weeks to really realize that I wanted to be a different leader than who I always thought I was as a leader and still wasn't great every time. So I went to a couple different stores, um, 
I was at four different stores in management. And every time I went to a new store, I was, I would say a little bit better and better, more conscientious of, okay, I'm going to try to, you know, focus on these healthy things instead, or when people come to me with this sort of situation, this is how I want to respond. And, and it got easier each time I went to a different store because I was in a new place. And then the the final store that I was at, when I moved to California, I had, I didn't know anybody, nobody knew me before I was, it was all when I was in Oregon. And um, so in California, it was a completely clean slate. And I also had just moved to a different state and my husband and I were starting our lives in a different way together. And so everything felt really new. And I was like, okay, I don't have to feel the burden of that identity that I had put on myself before. And I I realized how closed in I had felt and how much I felt like I had to, I guess, live up to certain expectations and just all of these constraints that I had on myself that I didn't even realize were there before. And so I remember my first day working at this new store and I made sure to greet all of the crew members with, and they had a horrifying experience with their previous leadership. So we were all kind of in a shaky spot, but I greeted everybody with a handshake and a smile, which does not always happen in cor- the corporate world, you know, and I, I basically felt like I was reinventing myself and I could tell the, um, I could like see the tension be released from a lot of these employees shoulders as they talked to me within the first few days, because they realized that I was somebody that actually wanted to be there for them. And I don't say this to be like, Oh my God, I'm the best ever. But I was so much different. I acted so much different. And I, I thought that I was always like that, but I realized that I wasn't, I wasn't always acting on what I what I wanted, what made sense for me. So I really made sure to do that in my last store. And then I was only there for a couple months and then I quit the company. So it didn't last that long, but I'm really glad that I did that. And I was so conscious of it because I think it was um, just a a big transformation for me in general for my whole life. And so uh, it, you know, I can, I kind of shudder to look back on how I was a leader for a lot of the people before. Um, and I think that they probably would never, ever want to interact with me ever again. But um, it, that it's what happened. And I, I learned a lot from it. And that's all that I can do is just move forward from it. I think that's a great example of being able to self-reflect and be present in the moment, right? And mm-hmm. and make those conscious decisions um, to to do different, like be different and to do differently. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think with that, we're going to close out this episode and all the pertinent information and contact information will be in our show notes. <laughs> Those and, good old show notes. Yeah. But I've yet to figure out. <laughs> um, so we're going to sign off and we thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Your Future Therapist podcast. If you'd like to reach co-hosts Kelly Newsom and Megan Lachowski, feel free to text them at 530-733-6400 or reach them by email at yourfuturetherapistpodcast at gmail.com. You can also slide into their DMs on Instagram, handle at yourfuturetherapist underscore pod. Make sure to like and subscribe and give us a five-star review on any of the streaming platforms you listen to this podcast on.